Hi, and welcome to the Arctic Conversation podcast, season three. My name is uh, Thomas Nilsson, and I'm a journalist with the Barnes Observer in Kirkenes, Norway. And I'm Anna Kireva, a journalist from the Russian part of the Arctic, uh, from the town of Murmansk. And we are your hosts of the Arctic Conversation podcast by Barnes Press Sweden. We cover current events in the Arctic and discuss international topics from the Arctic perspective. Together with our guests from the northern parts, we dig deeper and try to explain some complex subjects. But before we start with the new subject of today, uh, I want to ask you, Thomas, how is the weather in Kirkenes? Because the rest of the world is enjoying spring weather. But in Murmansk, we experience snowfalls, so the uh, spring has stepped back and um, gave the floor to the winter again. How is it in Kirkenes? Well, Anna, you know, spring is coming, as we used to say here in the, what is uh, still late uh, winter. It is now on the ground, but uh, today it was possible to bike to the office and a few weeks more and we have the midnight sun. Oh, that's great. We will have it as well. So today is um, today in the Arctic Conversation podcast, we are going to discuss the Arctic Council. In May, Russia is going to take over the chair of the Arctic Council for the coming two-year period. So we want to understand what it means and what to expect within these two years. But first, Thomas, what is the Arctic Council and what's its purpose? How does it operate? Uh, well, Anna, uh, it started back in the early 1990s, uh, 30 years ago, when the countries in the circumpolar north agreed to team up together to work on environmental issues, particularly for the Arctic, you know, like toxic pollutants and climate changes. Uh, from the very start, the countries included different in indigenous peoples organizations like the Inuits up in North America, uh, the Sami here in the Barnes region, and uh, several uh, Russian organizations in Siberia and the far, uh, far East. This cooperation turned out to be successful. And in 1996, the so-called Ottawa Declaration, the Arctic Council was formalized. The Consul got its own secretariat located in Tromsø in 2006, and uh, I would say uh, the real boost of attention came in 2011, when Hillary Clinton became the first Secretary of State to participate in the ministerial meeting uh, up in Nuuk in uh, Greenland. Since then, the Consul's biannual ministerial meetings have gained top-level attendance by foreign ministers of the Arctic Consul and we, you remember two years ago when uh, Secretary uh, of State uh, Pompeo had his uh, kind of infamous speech in Rovaniemi, where he talked much more about Arctic militarization than of other Arctic issues like the important one, the climate changes and so on. Thank you, Thomas. Very interesting. But you know what surprises me? Preparing for this uh, podcast, I have counted eight Arctic countries who are members of the Arctic Council. They are Denmark, Iceland, Canada, Norway, Russia, the USA, Finland, and Sweden. But in the Arctic Council, there are 12 members among the non-Arctic states who are called the observer countries, such as Great Britain, Germany, Italy, Spain, China, Korea, the Netherlands. Poland, France, Japan, India, Singapore, and Switzerland. And even more are eager to apply to become the observer state. You know, I always believed that uh, 
There are Arctic states and non-Arctic states. So there is something I don't understand. How come that there are more observer countries in the uh, more observer countries than the Arctic countries in the Arctic Council? How does it work? Does it have real power? Why do so many countries who have never experienced permafrost and snowstorms in summer want to be members of the Arctic Council? And what is the difference between the status of the Arctic state and observer state? Well, the big difference is that the observer states, they have no voting rights. They can participate in the meetings, but they don't have any formal say. They are not automatically invited to take an active part in the worker groups either. But for the most, that doesn't matter. It works very well. To your question about why the Arctic Council has so many observers, and uh, actually even more are in line waiting to join, the answer is very simple, I would say. Climate changes. The world sees that climate changes will have a dramatic impact all around. And since the Arctic is the place where the increase of temperatures has doubled or even tripled some places, everyone's attention is going north. Then, of course, countries see that shipping and other businesses are on increase in the Arctic as the ice melts. The Arctic is hot, not only climate-wise, but also political-wise, and that is what draws attention. Thank you very much, Thomas. Now it's much more clear. And also today we have a special guest who will help us to discuss the Arctic Council. Thomas, this is a colleague of yours, Atli Stylson. Atli is a journalist and publisher of the Independent Barents Observer. He has been at the Barents Observer since the start in 2002 and has covered key developments in the region extensively over the years. Hi, Atli, and welcome to the Arctic Conversation podcast. Hi, Anna and Thomas. Nice to be here. Hi, Atli. So what is the first thing that pops up into your mind when we say Russia and Arctic Council? Well, we first, first of all, I think of Russia as the by far biggest Arctic country. Uh, an enormous part of the Arctic is Russian. So the size uh, is the, the first thing I think of, but also the importance of, of the Arctic for Russia as a country. Um, the Arctic is not only a place where Russia has lots of natural resources, but it also has quite a substantial population in the Arctic. So the Arctic is very important for Russia in general. Yeah, right. Uh, you have covered lots of stories from the Arctic. Is it possible to name one big highlight or memory? Well, a, a recent memory uh, from uh, the Arctic, from the Russian Arctic, is a visit I was very lucky to participate in uh, to Sabeta, which is uh, a, an industrial hub located on the northern part of the Yamal Peninsula. And this place is very important for current Russian uh, developments in the Arctic because they are producing lots of LNG, liquefied natural gas, which is being sent out to the international market from this very remote and desolate place. So that is a, a, a recent and very interesting experience for me. Well, Yamal is a unique place in the Russian Arctic. What did um, impress you most of all from the trip? Well, first of all, it's very hard to get to places like Sabeta because the infrastructure is, is, is uh, not very developed. 
And, and it's also, uh, you need lots of permissions to go to places like this. You cannot just take a plane and go there. You need permissions from the, uh, from the federal security services, for example. So you need to ha- have an invitation from a, from a special uh, organization. That was uh, what made it special, but also to know that this place was completely undeveloped just a few years ago. It was only a small village on this site. And when I was there, there were more than 20,000 people living and working there to produce natural gas, liquefied natural gas. Atle, uh, Sabeta and the uh, Arctic LNG production, that is uh, high up on Vladimir Putin's agenda. Is that because of the importance for Russia's economy? Yes, it is It is important for Russia's economy because Russia has a very... Russia, as you know, is a, is a country which uh, depends very much on natural resources like oil and gas. And a very big part of, uh, of this, uh, these natural resources are located in the Arctic. And Russia has over many years moved further and further north to find more oil and gas and also all the kind of natural resources. But first of all, oil and gas. So... The further north you have moved, uh, the the more extreme the conditions are. And 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 Sabeta is located in a part of Russia where there is tremendous volumes of natural gas. So this is a very important uh, eco- economic driver in in the Russian Arctic. Recently, you you wrote an article about what we can expect on Russia's uh, table. Uh, during the uh, the upcoming chairmanship of the Arctic Council, will that mainly be oil and gas, or will Russia have other priorities that you know of that they have highlighted? Well, I think Russia uh, has quite some different priorities for the Arctic Council. But talking about natural resources, uh, that is definitely a, a very important part of it. Uh, quite recently, Russia uh, adopted a, a, a strategy for the Arctic. And that includes a very high stress on natural gas and oil development. It also highlights uh, the importance of the Northern Sea Route uh, and also other uh, key developments. So I think all of this, all of this, uh, this document and the priorities outlined is in this document somehow will be very important also during the chairmanship period. But isn't this a kind of uh, a paradox that uh, Russia will focus on drilling for more oil and gas, just like Norway, in a period of time when the reason why the Arctic Council gets so much attention is exactly because of climate changes created by burning of oil and gas? Indeed, indeed, it's a very big paradox. And as you said, uh, the Arctic Council primarily focuses on on the opposite, nature protection, uh, climate change, uh, Arctic research, and these kind of things. Uh, also, uh, uh, preparedness uh, the, uh, cooperation and so on. But oil and gas and uh, heavy industrial developments in very vulnerable areas uh, is definitely not a, a, a thing which fits well with the Arctic Council in general. Atle, you mentioned the development of the Northern Sea Route. Uh, As we all know, several years ago, the president of Russia, Mr. Putin, has uh, stated that by the year 
2024, the uh, transportation of cargoes along the Northern Sea Route should be at least 80 million tons per year. And now this turnover is um, like 30 million tons per year. Do you think this goal is achievable? And why does Russia want to develop it that much? Well, there is a big discussion going on whether this goal is achievable or not. Uh, and uh, But in any case, uh, the fact that uh, Putin has set this target, it forces his ministries and his government and pretty much all, all including also the state companies, to work very actively on Arctic developments and to develop new resources, new infrastructure to boost shipments on this route. Uh, but it's a very complex and difficult task because uh, the northern sea route is located in very extreme in a very extreme part of the world uh, and the climatic conditions are very very tough uh, although we see the ice is melting there is still very much ice left uh, during big parts of the year so whether russia will be able to achieve this goal which is enormously ambitious uh, i would doubt it personally but but i cannot exclude it do you think, Atle, that uh, uh, Russia will try to invite the other Arctic nation states to join in this uh, industrial development, uh, both in regards to oil and gas onshore, but also the, the shipping? Is is that something that will be met by understanding among the other Arctic nations? Personally, I doubt that Russia will, in a direct way, invite other Arctic nations in the development of the route itself. It will be, and it is very interested in working together with partners like, partners from China and North Korea and Japan in getting more shipments on the route from the east to the west and, and, and the opposite direction. But I doubt it will bring this uh, issue uh, very high on the Arctic Council agenda. It will be there, uh, certainly, uh, and in, in many of the events, there will be a, a discussion on, on this route, but I doubt that the other Arctic nations will be somehow at least directly involved in, 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 in actual developments. Uh, we have also mentioned the issue of the climate change. And, um, well, I guess that, uh, of course, environmental issues will be a part of the Russian agenda. We all know that Russia has inherited enormous amount of environmental problems. Do you think Russia has something to offer to the Arctic Council when it comes to climate change? Indeed, indeed it has. Uh, uh, Russia has uh, many decades of very comprehensive research on the Arctic and very many people in Russia are involved in, re in research uh, on the Arctic. Russia has a network of uh, research stations along major parts of the Arctic, including me meteorological stations. And these researchers and these facilities will indeed be a pot potentially a, a very major contribution to the international Arctic cooperation. What concern uh, Russia's track record, so to say, on, on environment, that's a bit different story. Uh, and uh, many critics of Russia will indeed say that uh, Russia uh, has a very bad track record on environment with oil spills on land and also uh, a rather uh, um, not very nice industrial uh, approach to, to its new projects. 
Anna, I would I would like to ask you, since you are sitting as a journalist in Murmansk, uh, what is the what is the reaction among people in your town in regards to the Arctic Council? Is that something that media is reporting about at all? And and you you know Murmansk, where you are, uh, it's in the center of the Kola Peninsula with a lot of industrial activities and environmental uh, troubles, so to say. Uh, are businesses and people ready to? to uh, talk about these issues uh, during this period? Have they any expectations of the chairmanship of Russia to the Arctic Council? That's a very good question, Thomas. Uh, uh, And I will uh, have several answers to it. Um, Well, I think being a chairmanship in such a structure as an Arctic Council is, of course, a privilege. And uh, Russia has all the cards in in its hands to offer everything it wants uh, or or everything it beliefs should be needed. And um, media covers a lot uh, all the decisions of the Arctic Council and discussions inside the Arctic Council. But when it comes to usual people, common people, I don't think many of us do understand what Arctic Council is about and what does it give and why its decisions are important or not. So that would be the uh, the question to the answer. That will be the answer to your question. When it comes to Murmansk, uh, we people who live in Murmansk, we call it the gate to the Arctic. And of course, we are proud to be Arctic people. From what we can see in our region, all the developments is, of course, connected with oil and gas, mainly with uh, LNG and uh, Novatec projects in Murmansk region, and uh, different mineral resources like copper and nickel and uh, minerals like that. So I guess for usual people living in the Arctic, we are used to that the Arctic development is, first of all, the industrial development, mineral development of the region, and then everything else. Atle, uh, the Barnes Observer, you, you have covered uh, some of the domestic issues in Russia. For instance, you have mentioned uh, the indigenous groups uh, up in northern part of Siberia who has actually voiced concern that Kremlin will not allow critical voices to be heard during the upcoming two years uh, chairmanship. Do you think the indigenous peoples, uh, do they have a reason uh, to be concerned? Well, Russian. First of all, first of all, uh, Russian indigenous indigenous peoples are uh, rep- represented in the Arctic Council in as as a permanent participant. Uh, but uh, I th- I think that uh, representatives of of indigenous peoples would not say that they are well represented in in the Arctic Council as such, uh, because um, they simply do not fit very well into the narrative of, of of russian arctic policy which is uh, which is industrial development uh, northern sea route and these big projects and and the picture of of the nomads of the north does not fit very well into that picture so uh, there is always a conflict uh, between uh, between indigenous interests and and industrial interests and we see that very clearly in russia uh, and you mentioned uh, some of these situations uh, uh, in the north already, and 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 when you're going to develop a, a big oil field or, or a big pipeline or or a new factory or other kind of industries, uh, you will very easily come in conflict with the indigenous interests and the voices of of those people who are experiencing those conflicts are not very often heard, at least not very clearly in in Russia. 
and we see that also in the Kola Peninsula. I can, I'm sure that uh, Anna can tell you can tell much more about the situation there. For example, with with new new mining projects like the Fjordova Tundra, for example, and and many other cases uh, where there is a conflict between those interests. Yes, the uh, Fyodorova Tundra is the new project for the precious metals uh, in the in Murmansk region, very near to the place where uh, Sami people, the indigenous peoples, live. There is not a sharp co- uh, conflict right now, but it's coming because, of course, Sami people do want do not want this project to to start and to be developed. R- right. Um, Yes, there are um, there are tense situations between indigenous peoples and uh, well the plans of the Russian government, but it's not the only tense situation. A uh, couple of months ago, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Russia has already stated that if things go wrong, uh, Russia can break up relations with EU. Uh, after several interviews with uh, the president of the USA, Mr. Biden, and what he has said, uh, it's also a very tense situation between Russia and the USA. Uh, Atli, what do you think, uh, what can we expect uh, uh, from the relations of Russia and other Arctic and not non-Arctic countries uh, inside the Arctic Council? Mm. Well, uh, Thomas already mentioned the more uh, political, the new kind of new political aspects of the Arctic Council. When you describe the last uh, ministerial meeting in the Arctic Council two years ago, when Mike Pompeo, uh, in a very aggressive, so to say, way, uh, uh, attacked both China and Russia, and quite truly, there 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 is a much more tense and difficult uh, situation between East and West now than it was just a few years ago. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, we also see that the Arctic Council and the Arctic in, gen- in general can can be a potentially a, a region where they find some where, where these countries find some common ground and a new ground for cooperation. We already saw quite recently that uh, the U.S. special envoy on on climate. Uh, John, John Kerry was in Moscow and held talks with uh, to meet and to- talk with uh, Sergey Lavrov and 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 uh, in that meeting they both uh, said that the arctic council can be could be a, a place where they could uh, actually uh, cooperate quite well therefore uh, we cannot exclude that the arctic council actually could be some kind of um, a place where we, we we a forum where we have some more some more easy talking than in other places well, it's good to know that Arctic still still can be the territory of a dialogue, at least for the next two years, and at least in the frames of the Arctic Council. This is a, this is interesting, Atle and Anna, because when I read newspaper and also as a reporter when I, I, I cover issues up north, uh, militarization is the big, big thing uh, with more nuclear submarines and weapon testing and American bomb planes and Norwegian spy planes and, and so on. Uh, do you think the current uh, cold climate between East and West Atle uh, will have some impact on what we see uh, on the militarization of the Arctic? Well, the, first of all, the Arctic Council is not a forum for discussions on on national security issues or military issues at all. Uh, the the Ottawa Declaration does not open up for for these kind of uh, talks. 
uh, and, but still, uh, irrespectively of that, there is uh, this uh, national security interests uh, will inevitably be in the background of, of also this chairmanship period, namely because of uh, Russia's very significant military buildup in the Arctic over the past few years. And, and, uh, and the, men- the mentioned Arctic strategy of Russia very, uh, on a very high level includes national security issues. So, so it, it is not. We cannot exclude that uh, that Russia will somehow uh, include in their chairmanship also uh, some kind of national security uh, aspects. Uh, the Russian uh, foreign ministry has already said that it will have during its chairmanship will have some uh, eighty-five or something different events. Uh, Fifty of fifty of them will be official events, and the remaining. 30-something will be unofficial events uh, which will be held as part of its chairmanship. And during those events, we cannot exclude that there will be also uh, military uh, discussions. Uh, and, and Mr. Nikolai uh, Cherkunov, who, who has been heading the Russian delegation to the Arctic Council for the past few years, he has already said that he would very much like uh, a, re- a resumption of, of, of the of the meetings between the heads of the general staffs of the Arctic Council, which uh, were held regularly before 2014, but which ended with the Russia's uh, annexation of the of the Crimea, uh, so this this issue could could easily pop pop up, uh, if not in in the official meetings, then perhaps in the in the so to say uh, adjacent uh, meetings. And, and how do you think the other uh, Arctic nations will? Uh, respond to a such uh, possible request. It could potentially create a, 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 a difficult uh, situation in the council if it is if it is brought up on the official level. If it will be brought up in in the more uh, in the not official uh, level, in not official meetings, it could be could be actually a quite positive thing that they actually can discuss. Uh, also these issues which uh, obviously need to be discussed. Atle, you, you have already mentioned your uh, trip to Sabeta uh, a few years ago, but uh, how do you expect it will be for foreign journalists to travel in the Russian Arctic in uh, this two-year period of uh, the chairmanship? Uh, we read a lot in the newspaper about the difficulties of being a foreign journalist in Russia. Will this chairmanship help to open the door to the Russian Arctic for foreigners? That's a very good question, and I don't know the answer to it. Uh, from before, it is very difficult to travel in the Russian North, in the Russian Arctic, uh, f- for Everyone, and especially for our for journalists, uh, and that's several reasons for that. One of the reasons is that uh, a major part of the Russian Arctic is actually a so-called border zone, which means that you will have to apply permission from from the Federal Security Service to get to get access there, and it will take you several months to apply for such a permit, and you might not even get it. Uh, yes, you can, we can hope that it will be a bit easier during the chairmanship period to travel in the region or at least to participate in some of the official meetings and, and events. I personally, I certainly do hope, hope so. But Russia is a big country and there are different authorities in these countries and they do not, already, do not necessarily speak with the same voice. 
So if the foreign ministry would like me to attend a meeting in, in the Russian Arctic, I will be very happy and, and would say yes, uh, would say yes and, and, and be happy. But uh, the Russian Federal Security Service might not necessarily uh, approve my visa application. So we will see. Okay, we've been discussing the Arctic Council and Russian chairmanship for the next two years, and it gave all the hope that uh, the the next two years period in the Arctic Council will be very positive, constructive, and will hold, and will help to um, contribute into fighting the climate change and development on, uh, developing the Arctic regions. So I have the last question to Atle and maybe you, Thomas, if you want to answer. If the listeners should remember just one thing about the Arctic Council and this conversation today, what would this be? Well, I think it. I think it, I, I hope that uh, the Russian chairmanship uh, period in the Arctic Council will be a period when uh, people in general and and all across the arctic will learn more about russia and more about the russian arctic and more about the russian arctic priorities and what is going on in this tremendous and very interesting region and uh, may i add uh, that I, I really think that we are entering a period of time when uh, international uh, relations uh, are not that uh, Uh, good as it used to be. But uh, up here in the Arctic, I think we see a possibility of open doors and a dialogue between Russia, Europe and North America. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Atle. Uh, Atle, thank you for joining the Arctic, Con- Arctic Conversation podcast season three, where you helped us to understand more about the Arctic Council. My name is Anna Kireva. I'm a journalist from Murmansk, the Russian part of the Arctic. I am uh, Thomas Nilsson in Kirkenes with the Barnes Observer in Norway. Thank you everyone for listening and stay tuned for our next episode here at the Arctic Conversation Podcast.